0: Let me just give you a preview of where we're going in the next couple weeks, actually the next couple months. So today we are finishing a series in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 28. If you want to go ahead and open your phones or, or your Bibles to Acts 28, that's where we'll be. Next Sunday, if you remember when we started the book of Acts, we started talking about how... Uh, The church was in a time of transition. There were a lot of transitions that we were going to see through the book of Acts, and I mentioned that our church is in a time of transition, and one of the things that we were working on as an elder board was our discipleship process that we were nailing down. Uh, What does it look like for us to make disciples at River Rock Bible Church? And we wanted an easily identifiable process where anybody would be able to come in and say, I know what my next step is, or I know what my friend's next step is in this process. So Next Sunday, you guys will be hearing about where we as a board, uh, what we've come up with, and I am very excited about this message to be sharing about how we are going to go about making disciples here at River Rock Bible Church. The the following Sunday, we're going to start, I believe that's March 12th, we're going to start a brand new series called Contagious. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian? All right, so many of you guys have heard of that. This is going to be a great series. We've just gone through uh, the series in Acts, which is all about the spread of the gospel, the church carrying out the Great Commission. We've said all year long, our our theme has been what? Who knows? What's our theme? Make disciples. Somebody got it in the back. All right, good for you. You get the gold star today. Make disciples has been our theme, and I think one of the things that comes up is I think there are so many people who say yes, we are on board. We want to spread the gospel. We want to make disciples. We just don't know how. Um, So Contagious is going to be a great series for you guys to come and be a part of on Sunday mornings and in your community groups, and you will learn multiple ways, different ways to share the gospel, and the whole point of this series is for you to discover how you are most comfortable sharing the gospel, what works for you, what works for your personality, So it's not a formula. It's not a do it this way and this will work. This is about you discovering what works best for you and with your lifestyle. So I'm very excited about this, and I hope you guys will make that a priority. And uh, here's the great thing is that through this process, you will be developing an impact list of people around you, around where you live, work, and play, who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And you're going to be praying for them, and you're going to be learning. As you learn these techniques, you're going to be practicing uh, these techniques, hopefully on your friends who don't know Christ. And the uh, the great thing is that this series ends on Easter Sunday with a very clear gospel presentation. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that on Easter Sunday, those friends that you've been praying for that are far from God, not only will they come and hear the gospel that Sunday, but multiple times before that Sunday, as you go through the series, that they will have heard your testimony. They will have heard illustrations from you about what God is doing in your life, about your faith, and about Jesus Christ. And then on Easter Sunday, that they would come, and they would hear again. And if they haven't already trusted Christ, my prayer is that on Easter Sunday, that we would see men, women, and children coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We've been praying for 21 people to put their trust in Christ this year. We had one really early on in the fall. Um, through one of our members who was serving in a different ministry, and she had the opportunity to share Jesus Christ, and we had someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then this last week, we had two come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, One of them is Avery. Avery, do you mind standing up and waving to everybody? Say hi to Avery. Last Sunday after church... Avery was asking Miss Devon Bush a number of questions, and Devon was able to explain the gospel to her, and she's, she chose to put her trust in Jesus Christ last Sunday. And the other one was my very own daughter. Um, Charlie, stand up and turn around and wave. At five years old, she was reading a book that was given to her by her aunt and uncle that explained uh, why Jesus came and what God wants us to do, and she read it and read it and read it and read it and came downstairs and said, Mommy, I think I'm, I'm ready to put my trust in Jesus. And so last, uh, was it Sunday night, she put her trust in Jesus, and uh, we got to celebrate that as a family. So it was pretty exciting for us. So God is answering our prayer. We've been praying for 21. Uh, we've seen three so far this year. Please continue to pray with us. If you missed last Thursday night, our fourth Thursday prayer, we are on our knees every fourth Thursday as a church, um, praying for the harvest and for the laborers. So I encourage you to join us there. Um, So the Contagious series leads us up to Easter. The following Sunday, we're going to begin a series uh, uh, covering marriage. How many of you would like to have a better marriage? Husbands, be careful. Uh, how many of you would like to have a better, stronger, more God honoring marriage? How many of you singles would like to be prepared for a marriage worth repeating someday? That you would be ready for that. Here's the deal 90% of you singles will be married someday. Statistically speaking, 90% of you will be married someday. So this series is going to have something for everybody, um, and this will be a great opportunity for you to invite your friends. It's going to be fun. Uh, we're going to be talking about lots of stuff, all things marriage related all things marriage-related, right? So it'll be a fun fun way for us to tackle some of those topics. Uh, This morning, we're finishing out the book of Acts, and our title is The Mission Advances, or The Mission is Advancing. And we've seen throughout the book of Acts, the mission advance all the way back from Acts chapter 1 to now Acts chapter 28. We've seen this mission advance, and when you think about advancing, it kind of has military overtones, doesn't it? It has this idea of someone moving forward and pushing forward. And here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, "Uh, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Some translations say, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now let me ask you, how many of you like military history? How many of you have a fence? a gate. What do fences do? They keep things out, but they do not attack, do they? Fences do not attack. Well, maybe in a windstorm you could be attacked by a fence, but fences do not attack. They are a defensive weapon, which means that we as the church, if we are the church and the gates of hell will not overpower God's church, that means we are to be on the offense. Not offensive, but we're to be on the offense. We're to be advancing. If, if you were to look behind me, uh, this, this past week, who knows what happened this past week in Texas history, which is really world history, but look at this. Who knows what this is? The Alamo, everybody knows what this is. How many native Texans do we have here today? Native Texans, yes, born and bred. I was born in Texas, uh, lived here almost my whole life, all except for three years when I did foreign missions in the most foreign place of all, the Northeast, near Boston. Um, That's where Amanda and I did foreign missions for three years. But this past week, February 23rd, about 100 men entered the Alamo as 1,500 Mexicans approached. Uh, San Antonio de, uh, de Bejar de San Antonio. They approach, and these men run in. A few days later, they're, they're bolstered by fewer than a hundred men with James Bowie, and there's about 186 men in the Alamo. And for 13 days, there's this standoff against the Mexican army. The 1500 turns into as many as 6,000. And on the morning of March 6th, early in the morning, the battle begins. 6,000 against fewer than 200. The Alamo was a well-fortified mission. Yet its gates could not overpower, could not overcome the tremendous force of the Mexican army. And in less than 20 minutes, the battle was over. 186 defenders dead inside the Alamo. Less than 20 minutes, it just goes to show you that this is the kind of power, the overpowering numbers that we as the church are meant to have, that that the gates of hell would not overcome it. We're to be advancing this mission, and this morning we're going to see, as we wrap up the book of Acts, not only has the mission advanced in the way that Jesus said it would throughout the book of Acts, but today, even today, the mission is advancing Turn with me, if you will, to uh, to Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. And what we're going to see first is that the mission is advancing to the nations. Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 28 the great commissions. He says, go and make disciples of all... Are you guys awake? Do we need more coffee in the back? Do we need to make it a little stronger next week? Go and make disciples of all nations. Right, And then in Acts 1, he tells them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Right, So it's expanding out to all the nations. And we started in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, and here we go. Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 16. When he entered Rome, this is the ends of the earth. When Jesus said the ends of the earth, the disciples understood that Rome was kind of the capital of the ends of the earth. And so here the gospel is in Rome. We've, they've made it. They've reached the ends of the earth. Paul was permitted to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. All right, now I've got to get you caught up a little bit. So last week, Jared preached on Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are sent out. So Paul has a long ministry of about 22 years where he's preaching throughout the known Roman world. He's preaching and teaching... Uh, and then he comes back to Jerusalem, and some of the Jews there are jealous of Paul. They're angry with Paul because they think he's preaching against Judaism. They start this riot. They get Paul arrested. They bring charges against him. Herod Agrippa finds no, uh, no charge against him. Festus finds no charge against him. But the people still are, are crying out for Paul to be crucified. And so Paul says, I appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. His father was a Roman. His mother was Jewish. So technically, in Jewish uh, eyes, he was Jewish. In the Roman eyes, he was Roman. And so he says, I appeal to Caesar, which means he gets to go and have his day in court in front of Caesar. Acts chapter 27, he takes this very uh, wonderful cruise around the Mediterranean. Um, If you go back and read Acts chapter 27, you'll see it was not exactly that great. He ends up shipwrecked. He ends up on the island of Malta, and it's no vacation. He gets bit by a viper on Malta, uh, and so he's had a hard time, and he's left Caesarea, where he's been in prison. Six months later, he finally arrives over 2,000 miles in Rome, and he's thrown into another prison where he lives for two years, uh, chained to a Roman guard before he finally has his day before Caesar. So now we know what's happening with Paul. So he arrives in Rome, and he's there with the soldiers who are guard him guarding him after 3 days he called together the leaders of the Jews when they had gathered he said to them brothers although i have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors i was delivered as a prisoner from jerusalem into the hands of the romans they after they examined me they wanted to release me since i had not committed a capital offense because the jews objected I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, I have asked to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing chains. Then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. Now let's stop right there. Now something interesting takes place here in those last few verses. So often people will not have a problem with you as a Christian and they will not have a problem with an individual church. But what they do is they impose everything that they want to be true, everything that they hate, that they want to be true about the church on Christianity and on the church. And we see that happening here with Paul. They didn't have anything against Paul. And in fact, they hadn't really heard anything negative about the church. They uh, uh, experienced personally anything negative about the church. They just said, we've heard negative things about it. And so automatically they're against it. And, And many times we see this to be true. We see it all the time that people have something against the church and they can't figure out why. They don't know why. But this happens to Paul. He's facing these great obstacles, but we see that the the mission is advancing to the nations. We're finally in Rome. After 22 years, we're finally in Rome. Actually, about 32 years from the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what that looked like. We have this map. Of the apostles, here we are in Jerusalem. It's a very crude map. Forgive me. The white part is the Mediterranean Sea, but you can see they're there in Jerusalem. And for about nine years after the Day of Pentecost, they stayed only in Jerusalem. Uh, excuse me. Four years after the Day of Pentecost, it wasn't until the martyrdom of Stephen, Stephen that they begin to spread. And then they go to Samaria and Judea. And here we are. They've covered that much territory, and now it's been nine years with the gospel. And then what we see, by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, this is what we see. This is where here, right? See this little spot right here where James is? This is where James was martyred. And this is Jerusalem right there. And you can see how it's gone all the way. We talked about Peter. And we know that Peter was in Rome uh, for two years. He was in prison. He finally gets his day before Caesar. Caesar listens to him and says, there's no reason for this man to be in prison. He releases him. And by all accounts, uh, church tradition says that Paul makes his way to Spain and preaches the gospel there, only to make his way back later to Rome uh, to be re-arrested for preaching the gospel and then martyred again there in Rome. But you can see that the gospel goes from Ethiopia, Matthew and Matthias make it to Ethiopia, to Egypt to Rome, to Spain. Andrew made it to parts of Russia. I didn't have a great way of showing this without turning all of Russia red, but he makes it to these southern tips of Russia and Kazakhstan. We see Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, and Simon the Zealot to Babylon, modern-day Iran and Iraq. We see Thomas and Bartholomew making it to India, and some believe even into parts of China. This is Almost the entire, this is the entire known world covered in 32 years. And you remember how many people were gathered in that upper room before the day of Pentecost? 120. 120 people in 32 years. By some accounts, uh, as people add up the, the number of places where Paul went, you go to Acts 19 We read that he was in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. He's in this little town in modern-day Turkey, and it says within two years of him being there and preaching that the whole region had heard the gospel. Over two million people in two years heard the gospel because of the ministry of one man. 120 people reach the entire known world in less than 32 years, in less than half a century This is amazing. This is amazing. The mission is advancing to the nations. We we have a great tradition to uphold as followers of Jesus Christ that we would continue to advance the mission to the nations. And I'm proud to say that here at River Rock Bible Church, that has always been a part of our history. That from day one we have included uh, missions. In our budget, our very first year as a church, we did a, uh, an offering, a special offering for a couple that was going to Kazakhstan, one of those nations listed up there, and we raised over $6,000 in one day for this couple that was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have a history of church planting. Uh, November of 2012 2013, we made the decision to financially support and be a part of launching Renovate Church over in Leander. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a church planting fund that we continue to put money into. We have a missions fund. Last Sunday, last Sunday we did a special missions offering, and as a church, we raised this much right here, $5,198, over $5,000 in one day that will be given to World Missions. Thank you. Thank you church. We have a team of people. We've had a team that went to Haiti. We have a team going this summer to Mazatlan, Mexico. The mission is advancing to the nations. My prayer is that we would be a church that would continue to advance the gospel to the nations. The second thing we see is that the mission is advancing through obstacles. What we're going to see is that as usual with the gospel, there is a mixed response to what Paul has to say. And we're going to see that the mission is going to advance in spite of and sometimes because of obstacles. Think about Stephen. Stephen was martyred. That was an obstacle that was facing the gospel. But God used that to advance the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Continue on with me in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 23. He says, Arranging a day with him. Many came to him at his lodging. From dawn till dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. And you thought my sermons were long. Uh, From dawn till dusk, Paul preaches, he tried to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. We see this mixed response. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors when he said, and now Paul's going to quote Isaiah 6, Go to these people and say, You will listen and listen, yet never understand. You will look and look, yet never perceive. For the heart of these people has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, be, confer- be converted, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known that this saving work that God has been, sent, uh, has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. We see that Paul has this mixed response. Not everyone that hears Jesus, that hears Paul preaching the kingdom and its king, Jesus, puts their trust in Jesus Christ that day. And I love that we, we get this little glimpse of Paul. If you've been following along in our reading plan, which I hope you have, if you haven't, this is a great week to get caught up because we're going to be finishing the book of Acts. And then you can jump right into the next section that we're going into with us. It's available on our website if you'd like a copy of that reading plan. Um, but I love what we see throughout the book of Acts is that Paul doesn't have just one method of sharing the gospel. He has multiple methods of sharing the gospel, and this is why I'm so excited about Contagious, is because if you will come for those six weeks, you will, you will be equipped with multiple ways. Sometimes he uses his testimony, sometimes he uses scripture, sometimes he just uses the things that are around him to explain the gospel to the people in a way that they can understand. So I want to encourage you again to come and be a part of that series. What do we have here in Rome? We know that there was a large Jewish population there in Rome and Paul's pattern continues. Paul's pattern, whenever he entered a city, was that he would go to the synagogues and begin preaching Jesus there because Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. And so he starts there. And we see this in almost every city that there's a mixed response. Some believe, but some reject Paul. And usually the ones that reject Paul's preaching have a pretty bad response, and they begin to stir up trouble for Paul. But he always goes to the Jews first, and Paul uh, relies here on this text from Isaiah 6 that became a very important text for early Christians, because imagine being a Gentile Christian, and you're understanding that Jesus, this Jewish man who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the Jewish religion, he's the fulfillment of that, the promise, the one that they've waited for. How is it that that his own people could reject their promised Messiah. And so Paul goes to Isaiah 6, and he quotes this passage about them hearing and listening and listening, but they won't hear. They, they look and they look, but they won't see because their hearts are calloused. Their hearts are hard and they won't understand. This chapter in Isaiah was written 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what, what happens is Paul uses this, Jesus himself used this passage to show that they, they had a precedence of having a hard heart towards the word of God and what God was doing. There's a precedence there. And, and Paul uses this and he applies this last part. He says, otherwise they would understand with their heart and be converted. And he applies that to salvation, that the healing of their heart, their understanding of their heart would bring their salvation, that they would be healed. But I think it's important for us, for those who are followers of Christ here this morning, to also consider our own eyes and ears and hearts. How are your eyes and your ears and your heart when it comes to receiving the Word of God? Let me, let me put eyes and ears together, because I think those have to do with accepting the Word of God. And then let me, let me put heart together separately because I believe that has to do with understanding and experiencing the word of God, applying it, living it out in your life. And those, those two are, are completely different things because I think there are a lot of Christians who, who have the spiritual eyes and ears and they accept that the word of God is true, but then when it comes to their heart, they never actually do anything with it. They just sit around becoming a, a, a nice person, becoming nicer. And they don't actually follow through with what God has instructed them to do. And so I want to challenge you, what is is your heart condition this morning? It comes back to this idea that the word of God is not just for our information, it's for our transformation. That God's desire is not just that you would know his word, but that it would transform you. That you would be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you this morning, how are your spiritual eyes and ears, and heart. See, in the Hebrew mindset, to say that you understood something, you, you couldn't claim to understand something until you had tasted it, touched it, and were living it. It meant you had personal, first-hand experience with it. That's what it means to understand. It, it's kind of like the surgeon who walks into the room and his patient is all giddy on the day of surgery and he's like whoa calm down like why are you so excited and the, and the patient says I'm, I'm excited doc this is my first surgery I've never had surgery before I can't wait to see like how's it gonna go what's gonna happen and the doc says calm down this is my first surgery too and you don't see me getting all excited now how would you feel if you were that patient The doctor comes in and says, hey, this is my first surgery too. When you go see the doctor, you don't want to say, tell me about your qualifications. And they say, well, I've read about this procedure on page 367 uh, in my textbook. Well, have you ever done it before? No, but I've read about it a lot. And I've watched a couple YouTube videos. um, And I've listened to a couple other doctors describe how they do it. Um, So I'm I'm good to go. Like you'd say, no, please find me another doctor right away. You're not going to open me up. It's the same for us as Christians. We can't claim to know something. We can't claim to know the word of God until we begin living it out. That involves our heart being transformed and conformed into the likeness of God. Psalm chapter one says this. Psalm chapter one says, His delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside the streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. This is talking about the word of God in our lives. That we would meditate on it, that we would concentrate on it, that we would think on it, and that we would allow it to transform us. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, uh, recognized 100 years ago that this was a great struggle This was a great struggle, and it's gotten even worse with technology. But even 100 years ago, this is what he said about the Word of God. He said, Satan will do anything to keep you out of the Word of God, even if it's just adjusting a window shade. Do you remember the five-minute challenge that we did this past fall and how hard that was? Anybody else ever experienced that? You sit down with the Word of God, and you realize that the blinds need to be open, so you get up to adjust the blinds. And then you realize that maybe you need a cup of coffee. And Satan will do anything to distract you from the word of God, to keep you from the word of God, to keep you from spending time in prayer, even if it's just adjusting the window shade. And that's multiplied through the technology that we have today. So how do we, how do we begin to dive into the word of God and ask him to transform us and ask him to use us to advance the mission in people's lives around us and to spend time in prayer for them by name? Somehow we've got to remove the distraction. One of the things that we're going to be doing coming up as we begin our Contagious series is that we are going to uh, begin a six-week fast as a church. We're going to be fasting for six weeks, and we're going to be doing this one day a week. This is what we're asking for. One day a week on Friday that you as a church, that we as a church would set that day aside as a day of fasting and for prayer. Now let me just briefly talk about fasting. Fasting is not some magical thing that we do, and then all of a sudden God does what we want because we fasted. Fasting is a way for us to remove some distractions in order to hear from God, in order to be transformed by God, and to bring our will into alignment with his, and to have a a deeper awareness of God's presence in our life and what he's asking us to do. And so here's what we're asking for the fast— uh, not everyone is able to fast from food, okay? Uh, typically in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, fasting was something that you would do uh, normally from sun up to sundown if you were doing a one-day-a-week fast, and so you wouldn't eat anything in that time period, which was pretty significant because cooking food took up about two-thirds of their time, either harvesting it or, or turning food into food. Um, turning the ingredients into food took a large portion of our day. For us, it's, it's not that hard. We just go through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and we got food. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes. So uh, there, there may be some who will decide that, you know what, from sunup to sundown, I'm not going to eat. Uh, I'm going to abstain from food. And here's why I love uh, fasting from food, because your body has a built-in mechanism that your tummy's going to rumble throughout the day. And it's a built-in alarm for you to stop and to remember Man does not live on bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Or for me when I fasted before when my tummy rumbles I remember okay I'm praying for this person and this person I get on my knees and say okay Lord let me be more hungry for their salvation than I am for their for this food right now. Let me be more hungry to go and share the gospel with them than I am for food right now. But I understand that that may not be for everyone and so I would encourage you find something in your life is it TV Is it Facebook? Is it the radio? Find some distraction, something in your life that distracts you from the word of God, from time and prayer and offer that up one day a week. That's all we're asking. One day a week that you would abstain from that and devote that time that you would have used towards Facebook, TV, eating, whatever it is. Devote that time towards prayer for the lost. Would you commit to doing that? Would you join us in doing that? We'll be talking about that more next week. Because we want to be able to devote our, our time and our attention to God in order that we would be able to overcome some of these obstacles in our life. Because I do believe that a lot of times the obstacles that we think we face for the gospel are nothing more than excuses. Nothing more than excuses. Lastly, we see... The mission is advancing unhindered. These last few verses, we read this in verse 30. Then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house and welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. That last word there, those last two words, without hindrance, one word in the original language, unhindered, unhindered. What's hindering you from proclaiming the gospel? We see here that Paul is in chains. He's in prison, but his message is not. He continues proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Even while in chains, he is unhindered. He is unhindered. This is this is a long line uh, that's, that it's taken to go from Jerusalem to Rome, 2,000 miles. From Spain to India, the map we saw earlier is over 5,000 miles that the gospel has spread in just a short amount of time. Paul recognizes that even though he's in chains, that his message must remain unhindered. And somehow, because of someone's faithfulness, that message has reached each and every one of us today, over 2,000 years later. What we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit did not stop working at the end of Acts chapter 28 and then magically pick up somewhere in the 20th and 21st century so that you and I could have the gospel. We come from a long line of faithful Christians who have been living out and continually preaching the gospel. You are here today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are here today because someone in that room of 120 people on the day of Pentecost was faithful with the gospel, and it got passed down over 2,000 years to someone who shared it with you. And now we, in a small room of about 65, 70 people, are challenged that 2,000 years from now, would someone look back on history and say, I am here today as a follower of Jesus Christ because that person was faithful with the gospel in 2017. We know that Paul handed the message on to Titus and to Timothy, and he tells Timothy to find faithful men, reliable men who will be faithful to entrust the message to others. We know that the apostle John uh, he preaches the message to Polycarp, Polycarp, to Justin Martin, Tertullian, Irenaeus, Origen, and then the Cappadocian Fathers, and then we have John Chrysostom, the golden mouth preacher. It gets passed on to there to men like Anselm of Canterbury, Thomas Aquinas, all the way down to men who illegally translated the word of God like Wycliffe and Huss. And then we see that it, it goes to the Reformation, men like uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther, John Knox, Ulrich Zwingli. And then we see it continuing on all the way to the 1800s to faithful men like Charles Haddon Spurgeon and D.L. Moody, who we heard from earlier. And in the last century, Billy Graham and Billy Sunday. To today, we have men like John Piper and Chuck Swindoll. And to you, to you and to me, the mission is passed down for us to advance. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. My question to you is, will you help or will you hinder the mission? The mission is advancing. And this brings me back to our statement that we started with that we are one church empowered by one spirit for one mission to spread one message about one Savior. That was true in Acts chapter 1. It was true 32 years later in Acts chapter 28. And it's true today in 2017. This is who we are one church empowered by one spirit, the exact same spirit for one mission to spread one message about one Savior. I want to encourage you uh, to think through some next steps. This morning, I I just want to throw a couple out. I don't always do this, but I want to throw out a couple possible next steps. And the first one is just to pray. Would you pray and ask God to burden your heart for the lost? Would you ask him to burden your heart for the lost, for world evangelism, and then to think through when and where you might go? Maybe there's a a chance for you to be a part of a foreign mission trip. Maybe God is calling you one day to be a part of a church plant. Our desire, we're a young church plant, but our desire is that one day we would have another family that comes up and says, "God has called us to plant a church somewhere in the greater Austin area, and here's where we're going." And we're looking for people to go with us. And we hope that there are people that will be missionaries right here in our Jerusalem in our Judea and Samaria and that they would go and take the gospel to other parts of Georgetown and the greater Austin area where the gospel is not yet reached? Will you pray about that? Will you get trained? Will you get trained in sharing the gospel so that you can confidently share the gospel and your testimony? Will you continue to give sacrificially? Last week, I know many of you made sacrifices in order to give to support world missions. We give over $5,000 in one day. Will you continue to give sacrificially? Will you advance the gospel, or will you hold it back? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we are grateful that you allow us to be a part of advancing your mission. Lord, just in the same way that you, you use the people in Acts, Lord, you desire to use us if we would simply be willing and available to you. God, give us a heart and a passion to advance your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.